0: We continue on in John's Gospel from chapter 19, starting at verse 28. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, and so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, And lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken. "'and the bodies taken down. "'The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man "'who had been crucified with Jesus, "'and then those of the other. "'But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, "'they did not break his legs. "'Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, "'bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. "'The man who saw it has given testimony, "'and his testimony is true.' He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. That's John's account of that first Good Friday, of the day where the Son of God, John's good friend and teacher, was killed not because of anything he'd done wrong, but because of the hatred and the jealousy of the Jewish leaders, because of the weakness of the Roman governor, who knew that he was innocent, but still chose to pacify the crowd. Now there are, John, John tells us all of these details of that day. But in the things that John chooses to emphasise, there are two things that he wants us to know about that Good Friday. One, that despite everything that happened, Jesus was in control the entire time. And the second thing he wants us to know is that these things happened during the Passover festival. As uh, Les and Madeleine have been reading it out, you might have noticed that John's account emphasises things from the day that displayed Jesus' control. When the soldiers came to arrest him, Jesus spoke first. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked, Who is it you want? when they asked for Jesus of Nazareth, he said, I am he. He was in control. Peter goes to pull out his, his short sword, his dagger, and he cuts off the ear of the, te- the, the, the priest's servant. Uh, and Jesus is in control. And he says, stop. That's not what we're doing today. That's not going to solve the problem. When he's before Pilate, you can see Pilate is somebody who's not in control. Pilate, the Roman governor, wants to set this guy free because like, it, he's not, he doesn't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But he certainly believes that this guy is no threat and doesn't deserve to be put to death. But because of the crowds, he gives in. Pilate is not in control. But throughout that whole meeting, all the conversations between Peter Peter, between Pilate and Jesus, Jesus is in control. He speaks when he chooses to speak. He says what he wants to say. And he says to Pilate that you only have control over me because it has been given to you. He said, Pilate says to him, don't you realise I have power either to free you or crucify you? Jesus shows us who is in control. You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. John emphasises as Jesus was uh, crucified that he carried his own cross. Now that doesn't mean that he's denying what the other gospel writers said, that at some point during that journey, It became too much for him, and that uh, Simon of Cyrene helped to carry the cross. But he emphasizes the part of the journey where Jesus carried the cross because he wants to continue to show this picture that Jesus is in control. Even on the cross, as he's dying, probably the most agonizing death, most agonizing form of execution devised by man he's making arrangements for his mother to be cared for by his disciple John and making arrangements for his disciple John to be cared for by his mother and even his death we read knowing that all was completed all had finished Jesus fulfilled the scriptures that testified about him and then he said, it is finished and he gave up his spirit. In all of the, the, cho- the, the choices of words that John has used, in all of the bits of that horrific day that John has chosen to emphasise, he wants us to know that Jesus was in control. He wants us to know the events of Good Friday weren't a tragic accident. It's not a day where we remember a martyr that was tragically taken too soon. We don't remember like a Martin Luther King Jr. who was doing good things and their death came as a surprise. But instead, Jesus actually meant to die. Jesus went through all of these things, he endured them willingly. That's not to say that he looked forward to them. We know from the Gospel accounts that he wrestled with what was going to happen in the Garden of Gethsemane. But God meant for all of these things to happen. Which raises the question, what for? Why is this God's plan? And that brings us to the second point of what John wants to emphasise in these passages. He emphasises that it's the Passover. Throughout the the two chapters that we had read out today, John mentions that it's the Passover, or the day of preparation, six times throughout those two chapters. And at the centre of the Passover meal that they celebrated together, is the lamb. And those of you who know the story from the Old Testament or who have ever been to our Passover meal that we have here in the town would know that in the time that the people of Israel were in Egypt, God rescued them from their slavery in Egypt. William. And there was the, the ten terrible plagues that God sent to convince Pharaoh to let his people go. And before the tenth, he told his people to, take, to to kill a lamb, to take its blood, to spread it on the doorposts of their house. And when they did that, God's judgment upon that land would pass over their house, hence the name of the festival. Now it's interesting that right at the beginning of John's Gospel, in chapter 1, John introduces Jesus. He shows the day that he went to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. John wants us to see Jesus. Jesus as the real Passover lamb, the one that that lamb pointed to, the lamb that spared the people from judgment by being protected by the blood of that lamb. When Jesus had died, he records how they didn't break his bones, that they they stabbed him with a spear to make sure he was actually dead, but they didn't break his bones. And John emphasizes this to say that that it was to be in accordance with Scripture. These things that happened would be so that the Scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. Now, there isn't an Old Testament verse that says exactly those words. Not one of his bones will be broken. But look at what we read about the Passover lamb. It must be eaten inside the house. Take none of the meat outside the house. Do not break any of the bones. In pointing to that as a fulfillment of Scripture, John is encouraging us to see Jesus as that Passover lamb. And John, in that same section, emphasizes how his blood was poured out when they jabbed that spear through his side. So, how does Jesus, as the true lamb, take away the sins of the world? In our church, over the last month or so, we've been looking at the law in the book of Leviticus and how that points us to the cross and what Jesus was going to do. And particularly important in all of the sacrificial imagery was the blood. We read this in Leviticus chapter 17, verses 10 to 11. "'I will set my face against any Israelite or any foreigner residing among them "'who eats blood, and I will cut them off from the people.' For the life of a creature is in the blood. I have given it to you to make atonement for yourself on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Atonement. Uh, It's a word that was developed by theologians to try and come up with a word in the English for what this this word in the Greek is. Atonement. It's about that restoration of relationship, about people being made at one that were initially uh, separated. But atonement has an idea about that restoration of relationship. It has an idea of propitiation, another word that we don't use very often. The idea that we need to deal with God's wrath against our sin. That each one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And this idea was in those passages we read. When Jesus was arrested, Peter tried to take up arms against those uh, who came to arrest Jesus. And Jesus said to him, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? And the cup of God's wrath is a picture that's used multiple times in the Old Testament of God bringing his judgment against a nation each of us deserves God's wrath for our sins that's not a fun topic people don't like talking about wrath yet we understand the need for wrath for anger and for punishment when we see sin when we see evil in our world when we see war crimes, when we see all of the awful things that human beings can do to one another, it's the right response is sometimes to be angry. The right response is for there to be punishment, for there to be consequences for people doing the wrong thing. Now the reality is, my wrath is not always right. My wrath is sometimes selfish. So, or some, and, you know, I get angry at the kids when they haven't done anything wrong. Do I do that sometimes, William? Yeah? Or sometimes you have done something wrong, but maybe the punishment was a bit more than what it deserved. Our wrath can be wrong. God's wrath against sin is just. We don't deserve to have God's good gifts, God's good world, and reject the God who created it, and to hurt the people that He created, and to damage what He has made. We deserve to be sent away from Him. We deserve God's wrath. But He doesn't want to give us what we deserve. Jesus came to drink the cup of God's wrath in our place. By the blood of Jesus shed on that cross, we have atonement. We have a restored relationship with God. We have a hope of everlasting life. As Andrew pointed out for us, the high priest Caiaphas was actually saying more than he realised. When he said that it was good for one man to die for the people. Now he just meant it was good for this one guy who all the crowds were going out to to die so that the Romans didn't start getting worried and start cracking down on the people. But his words that one man should die for the people is exactly why Jesus came. He chose to die as the true fulfilment of what that sacrificial lamb points us to. To be the only one who could pay the price for the sins of the world no person is able to pay the price of the sins of another and all of us have got the price of our own sins that we cannot repay but the son of God became man for us took on our flesh took on our sins not that he sinned but our sins were counted to him He paid the price as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So does that mean that everyone in the whole world has been forgiven for their sins? Sadly, the answer is no. The price that has been paid is enough to cover the sins of everybody in the world. There is nobody who has sinned So much that God has completely said, no no more second chances for you. There is no sin too grievous that God can't forgive it. But we do need to receive that price paid in our place. Receive what Jesus has done for us. The Lamb that was given in the sacrifice, was brought by the people. It was, it was their representative that died in their place. Jesus only died in our place if we choose to let him die in our place and ask him to take our place. John tells us all who believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Forgiveness of sins and relationship with God. That We believe in him, trust in him, the one who loved you so much. He gave his life for you. The one ruler who we know truly and actually cares about his people and does what is good for them. So today is... A good Friday, as Andrew got us to think about a little bit this morning. It's a day to be thankful for what Jesus has done in our place. It's a day to remember that our hope lies in what Jesus has done for us, not in how good I am, how much I can repay God, A day to let those things go. To um, cast our trophies down and cling to that old rugged cross. Maybe for somebody here it's a time to commit to following Jesus for the first time. Maybe you've never heard this before and you want to know more. Maybe you've heard it a hundred times before. But just today, God's Spirit is actually working in your heart. He is telling you that this is what you've been looking for. Jesus is the answer to all the questions. That he is the one who can bring forgiveness and the one who can give us hope and a life worth living. I encourage you, if that's you, feel free to talk to Myself or others in the church about this afterwards, but all we need to do to receive what Jesus has done is to ask him. To say, I do believe that you died, that you were the son of God, that there is forgiveness for those who believe in you and I want to be one of those people. There's no magic words. It's just that We receive what he has done for us. A day to put our hope in him. A day to be thankful. A day to sing. Worthy is the lamb. Jesus, we thank you that you are the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And although that might be an odd saying, to call the Son of God a lamb. We know that in doing that, you're you're telling us the truth that all of those things in the Old Testament, the Passover lambs, the lambs of the sacrifice, they were there not because those things could actually bring forgiveness for sins, but to teach us about what you would do for us on the cross, to teach us that the wages of sin is death, but that there is a way that somebody else might pay that price of death in our place. And Jesus, you came to be the Lamb of God, to take the penalty our sins deserved, to bear the wrath of God against our sins, that we might be forgiven when we put our hope in you. We pray this, we thank you for this, in Jesus' name. Amen.